evidence and answers. We've been hearing a lot in the news about critical theory, social justice, and woke culture. What do these terms mean? Although one of the most popular ideas in our culture today, scholars believe this ideology poses a major threat to the welfare of our nation. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat and his guest, Dr. Corey Miller, will discuss critical theory and the danger it presents to our culture today. Now with part one of this interview is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, you're hearing a lot about racism today and some terms connected with the racial and social justice movements of today, terms such as critical race theory and woke culture. Well, what do these terms mean? How are they affecting our culture and the church today? Well, to help us with this issue is Dr. Corey Miller. Corey Miller is the president and CEO of Ratio Christi, a fantastic college campus ministry you're going to hear about later on in the show. He also has served as pastor and professor of philosophy, theology, and comparative religions at various universities. He is an author and speaker. Dr. Miller holds master's degrees in philosophy, biblical studies, and in the philosophy of religion and ethics. His Ph.D. is in philosophical theology from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And he is passionate about defending and proclaiming the truth of the gospel in winsome and bold ways. So, Corey, welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Pat, it's great to be back here with you. Thanks for inviting me. Yes. Now, Corey, we've been hearing a lot about this term critical race theory and also social justice, but with a different twist on it, woke culture and other terms. What are these term you know what do these terms mean let's start by defining these terms in fact let's start with critical race theory what do we mean by that well critical race theory is a subset of critical theory so it's built on the two pillars of race theory and neo-marxism and the idea is that it extends previous marxism classical marxism which was preoccupied with economic justice issues, you might say, the haves and the have-nots, the bourgeois and the proletariat, the, the workers and the ruling class and so forth. And it assumes that there's a fundamental inequality that exists, uh, which means there is an injustice that exists. If there is ever an economic inequality, it means there is an injustice. Everything is supposed to be equal. Now, neo-Marxism takes that a step beyond that classical viewpoint on economics and expands it to race, class, sex, gender, nationality, ethnicity, and even religion. So when you use the term critical race theory, that's a subset of critical theory itself because there could be gender theory and queer theory and all kinds of other things in that Trojan horse we call social justice. Yes. Now, social justice, I mean used to mean fighting against slavery and things like that, women's rights. But it's got a different twist to it now, doesn't it? Yeah, and I would say, you know, there's justice and there's social justice, and there is truth and there is political truth. They're not necessarily the same. Social justice 
the original person that coined the expression uh, may have been Roman Catholic, and they were, you know, concerned about justice relative to social issues. But along the way, it has really conflated things like compassion and justice into one and confused both of those terms. It now carries with it things about the concern for the poor, the downtrodden, the widow, human trafficking, but it also might have reproductive justice, abortion, or economic justice, socialism, or environmental justice, climate change, or queer and gender justice, LGBT stuff, and the list goes on and on and on and on. It turns out, Pat, that there's a whole lot more in that social justice Trojan horse that we may not want, especially if we buy into traditional justice and biblical Christianity. Yeah, when you say Trojan horse, and I think that's a good way to describe it, you're taking these terms that are acceptable, you know, or seem good to the culture, but then when you go in underneath, there's a lot of what we might say ideas that may be contrary to a healthy culture and biblical truth that really work against the truth that's taught in Jesus Christ. But it's coming inside these terms that are very accepted and, and seem on the outward really nice. Right. It uses terminology that's familiar and acceptable, uh, but it means something entirely different. Yes. Now, connected with this is, is something called the woke culture. What's that all about? So if we look, if we take a little bit more in-depth look at critical theory then, the idea, if we can divide this up into three categories of, say, philosophy, which is reality, knowledge, and ethics. And we ask, what is real? How do I know what is real? How should I then live based on what I know about reality? So this notion of being woke fits that second category of knowledge. How do I know what is real? Well, we're told by social justice or identity politics or critical theory advocates, that's all kind of the same thing, that the reality is that human beings are at war with one another in social groups, in the haves and the have-nots, the victims and the victimizers, the oppressors and the oppressed. And so the ultimate goal, the ethic, is to liberate the oppressed through social justice. Well, how do you know who's oppressed? That's that second category of philosophy called knowledge. And this is where the woke term comes in. Who is really woke? Who really is enlightened? Who, Who can really see these problems? Well, it's the oppressed groups. It's those who have been oppressed, gender oppression, sexual oppression, economic oppression, racial oppression, you name whatever kind of oppression you're talking about. And it's said that those people have sort of a double lens. They're able to see what the ruling class sees because they have to live under that oppression, but also what the ruled sees because they're experiencing it and only they have access to that. So you might have, let's say, in woke racial social justice or critical race theory, it typically would not be a white person who can even see it. They're blinded, as it were, Pat, by their oppression. And they're racist regardless if they know they are or not. They just can't see it. So they just need to listen to those who do know it. And what's more, this gets amplified now by 
a new idea. A speaker was just here at Purdue University, uh, minutes away from where I'm at on the phone call right now. And Kimberly Crenshaw coined this term back in around 1990 called intersectionality. And that idea is that you may be in an oppressed category of more than one. You may be a black male and you are standing next to a white male, and so you are in an oppressed category of race. But if you're standing next to a black female and you're a black male, she outdoes you in wokeness because she has feminist oppression by the patriarchy and she's got blackness. So she can see doubly the oppressed. She experiences doubly. Their theory of knowledge is based on not objective truth per se, but on lived experience. Only she has that lived experience. And, and maybe, maybe she's trans or gay, and so now she's got three of those items. It's like, like the perfect unicorn. So no one else can understand. They just have to sit and listen. Wow. Now, you know, how did this idea of critical race theory arise? I mean, it, you say it goes back to Marxism or neo-Marxism, and it seems to have really risen to prominence now. So give us a brief history on how this thing really rose to prominence to where we see it today. You can see it, once you start to see it, Pat, you can't unsee it. But what happened basically was after classical Marxism failed, people were supposed to you know, put on their boots and rebel against the bourgeois, against the, the ruling class, and they didn't. They put on their boots and they went to war, and that was World War I. And a group of Marxists got together in a place called Frankfurt, Germany. It's called the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. And they scratched their heads and they realized some of the failures of classical Marxism and started to think through this more carefully and realized, you know what, um, we need to think more about this from a broader cultural perspective. And instead of going after the coercive elements of society like military or law enforcement or government through some kind of a hard revolution. Instead, it's going to be a soft revolution, and it's going to be through the infiltration of the uh, non-coercive elements of society through religion and through education, for example. And as they begin to think through this novel Marxism that expanded then to race, class, sex, gender, ethnicity, nationality, religion, etc., they started to form a, an identity of neo-Marxism or new Marxism or cultural Marxism, but it was a bad place to be at that time in history if you were a Jew and a globalist socialist, which is what a Marxist is, a globalist socialist, because you had the national socialists, the Nazis in Germany, and in 1933, you better get out of there, and so they did, and they came to America, to New York, Columbia University, where they established their base for decades. They wrote very influential books and tracts just in time for the sexual revolution and the student protests of the 1960s in the United States. And those involved in that movement then went on to academia, and they came to their apex in around 1990. That's when all of this stuff began to really get out there in academia. You know, at that time, 
the natural sciences ruled the universities. Naturalism had long since taken over the universities in the United States since about 1930. They left the humanities to themselves. They thought nothing's ever going to come out of the humanities. But out of the humanities came this bubbling goo or this, this virus, you might say, morphing into a Frankenstein. And it came to fruition in the mid-90s, and now it tends to be the dominant motif, even over the hard sciences, which is this critical theory, this social justice, this identity politics, and so forth. And it's even morphed into the church. It's found a, a better host that's more vibrant, uh, the Christian church, to attach itself to. And now you're starting to see big problems there as well. Yes, basically, when I'm reading on this particular issue, you know, you said there's basically the oppressors and the oppressed. And it seems like the oppressors basically are the whites, and everyone else seems to be the oppressed. I got it right there? If you're talking just the subset of critical race theory, yes. But if you're talking critical theory, if you're a male, if you're white, if you're a capitalist, if you're heteronormative, maybe if you're American, so again, it's every social category, race, class, sex, gender, ethnicity, nationality, and even religion. Christianity becomes an ultimate oppressor religion when it's in the dominant culture. Well, now, you know, what is the goal of those in this critical theory? Well, again, if the problem, and Marx may have got some things wrong, his followers in neo-Marxism think, if the problem was inequality, then the goal is equality. It's utopia. It's the ultimate good life where everyone shares everything in common and there's no competition. So anytime you hear the word inequality or disparity, let's say in, uh, in critical race theory, since you brought that up a couple of times, you, you talk about a structural racism or systemic racism. Well, what they mean by that, here's the common definition. Any policy or practice which creates or perpetuates racial disparity or inequality is systemic racism. Again, any time now that you hear the word inequality, don't think mathematics, think ethics. Any time there's inequality between male-female or between races or between nations or between sexes or genders or religions, you've got injustice. Equality just is justice. Justice is now fairness. That's what it essentially becomes. And so the goal, if the problem is inequality, the goal is equality. And the problem is always based in the groups. You're in these unequal groups. And so you've got to have, by coercion sometimes, you've got to have social justice, social equality across the axes of Again, race, class, sex, gender, nationality, ethnicity, religion, etc. Yeah, to me, that just sounds like classic Marxism, you know, or socialism. I remember back in China, everyone was supposed to be equal. Everybody dressed the same. Everybody supposedly had the same income. Everybody lived in the same kind of situation. I mean, it went all the way down to your clothing and the things that you owned, everybody is supposed to be the same. It seems like that's the end goal here. Yeah, it is, but it's classical Marxism was concerned primarily with economics. I mean, Marx did think that when we think of communism, 
for Marx, that was third-level criticism. Second-level criticism was political criticism, and, and first-level criticism, the chat, it had to go first, was religious criticism. You're never going to get to the Marxist state if you have people's allegiances divided up. If you are allied to the state and to God, one of those is going to have to go, because Marxism is a state-building worldview. It cannot allow serious religion. And this is where it enters into big conflict with Christianity. And the fact that it's making inroads into Christianity at every strategic level, from the churches to the seminaries to academic societies and to campus ministries, is really a, a bad situation. But that's what cultural Marxism was about. It was the long march through the institutions. And that expression came about through you know, Antonio Gramsci, an Italian neo-Marxist uh, follower down the road, but it really came through China, as you just mentioned, China. When they were seeking liberation early on, the Red Army had to go into the mountains through the Long March. That's where it comes from. And so there's this, this victory lap that they're doing with that expression, the Long March through the institutions. But the institutions that they're trying to take over or infiltrate in this soft revolution that you're, we're experiencing, not just in the United States, but around the West right now, is through education and religion primarily. Once that topples, then the coercive elements of society will follow suit next, like military and law enforcement and government. But you've got to go after religion and education first, and that's why it began in the universities, and now it's infiltrating Christianity through common terminology. Now tell us, what are the basic flaws and the dangers of this theory? Because some people might be sitting out there saying, well, equality, battling inequality, it sounds good to me. You know, what's, what's so wrong about this? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it gets humanity wrong just as Marx got humanity wrong. Um, we look at people not as divided by identity politics through race or class or sex, those are superficial compared to the real issue. We are divided by saint and sinner uh, because we're created in God's image. We respect everybody. Everybody has intrinsic dignity. Uh, all lives matter. Black lives matter. Babies' lives matter. Women's lives matter. Gay lives matter. Because sacred lives matter. That's one fundamental distinction. The second thing is, is this notion of, of justice and equality. The Bible never uh, talks about equality really as a virtue. It's never found from you know, Plato and Socrates onward through the Muslim and the Christian and the Jewish philosophers in the classical era, medieval times. It's never in the list of the virtues, equality. Justice is always there, but equality is not. And we don't see in the picture of God in Scripture that God is fair or equal. The Bible says God is just, and justice does not entail equality. As a parent, any parent listening to this knows that while they love their child, all their children equally, they should not treat them all exactly the same because they're different dynamic people as well. I can ruin one kid by, by doing that. So they get human nature wrong, number one. The second thing is, on theory of knowledge, we think that all people have access to the gospel. That, as Romans 1 says, that God's powers and his creation 
they're not just seen out there, but they are trapped in here. I can't escape it because I have a conscience. I've been born with the moral law. And revelation comes forth from the, from the Bible. And everybody, uh, the poor, women, gay, straight, Chinese, Japanese, uh, Norwegian, everybody has access through the scriptures to divine revelation for the good life. And the ultimate goal in life is not equality of things. The ultimate goal in life is reconciliation because of our sin, which has separated us from God, provided through Christ and Christ alone. If you want to get enlightened, if you want to get truly woke, you were once blind and now you see. Amazing grace. Yeah, because I think we have learned, you know, throughout history that the socialist model, trying to get everyone equal in every way, has failed. Right, and socialism as a, as a political movement itself has failed. But you're right, socialism more broadly construed than when it comes to forcing the haves to give to the have-not. It wipes out charity, number one, and all it is is theft and redistribution and, and coercion. Now, I will say this, that all this talk of oppression, there's something there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Bible says God is against oppression and he's for the oppressed. We see a lot of these things that concern the social justice critical theory crowd, but they, they get a little bit of truth mixed in with a whole lot of lies as well, and that's where that metaphor of the Trojan horse comes in. Most people just aren't aware of the nuances behind the rhetoric of compassion and social justice. They're thinking something else than what, what the Christian has traditionally thought and what the Bible espouses. In fact, if you take it to its logical conclusion, one of the greatest hegemonic powers, and hegemony is a, a term used in that theory, a way of persuading the masses and keeping them controlled and, and dominated, is the Bible itself. It's the ultimate meta-narrative. And this is one of the biggest differences between Christianity and this movement, is both are meta-narratives. They're both giving a description about humanity, about the world, our knowledge of things, and about what the good life is. But they're not merely giving a descriptive statement like you would in sociology. It's become normative and prescriptive. And the Christianity and the Bible itself as the ultimate hegemonic oppressor, teaching the patriarchy and you know, heteronormativity and God being the ultimate authority, that's not equality. He is the sovereign king. There are a lot of fundamental differences here that a lot of people just aren't picking up. Yes. Now, Corey, you talked about this is rampant throughout our high schools and our universities. Uh, you got a great yeah. college ministry there. You're on the uh, numerous university campuses. How do you see this affecting the high schools and the university campuses? It is the reigning paradigm right now in the United States. Uh, it's in agencies of government. It is at the grade school levels, K through 12, and it has long been in academia. Uh, for Christians who are engaged in Christian apologetics or if those who have heard of the new atheism that you know has been around for about 20 years with Richard Dawkins and other people, that stuff is passe now. It's old, it's mold, it's not as powerful as this movement is, and in fact, those people are even shaking in their boots because this new movement has not only emerged 
through the slime and the goo and the zoo in, in the humanities, but it evolved into a Frankenstein that's reached over across to the natural sciences, and now they can't control it, and they're wondering what to do, what to do. So every university now is getting a DIE personnel, which stands for diversity, inclusivity, and equity. And when you get that, it spells the death of the institution. It may be longer and drawn out than you might think, but it will spell the death of the institution. It has literally infiltrated every strata of society now, including corporate America. What you see happening right now, once you understand critical theory and social justice here, you can't unsee it. It's literally everywhere. In fact, if your listeners want to know more, we were the first um, ministry in the United States to publish a significant piece on this from a critical thinking perspective, from a Christian perspective, on engaging critical theory in the social justice movement. Uh, people could just Google uh, engaging critical theory in the social justice movement. They'll see the Ratio Christi link or go to our website, ratiochristi.org, and they can get a 30-page downloadable free booklet on this idea. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrad. <laughs>